Zechariah has this moment of questioning, I suppose you might call it, or maybe even disbelief at the news that Gabriel has given him. The news that Elizabeth will conceive a son, despite being barren, despite their age. And we don't see that from Mary in these verses. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to an average account of exceptional things. My name is Chandler, and I'm your host. Thanks for joining us today. So as some of you may have noticed, particularly those who are listening the week of this episode's release, it is, in fact, Christmas time. The most wonderful time of the year, as they say, and for good reason. Now, there are plenty of Hallmark or Claymation Christmas movies and classics to enjoy, and there's no shortage of great Christmas tunes either. But stepping away from all of that, I want to take some time this week and really slow down and talk about the Christmas story from the Christian perspective. Hold on, though. Before you skip this one, just hang in there with me. Because whether you haven't heard or thought about the biblical Christmas story a single time this year, or you've heard it what feels like a hundred times, what we're going to be talking about today is something that I pray will be uplifting and applicable regardless. And to that end, I will do my best not to overuse the phrase, the reason for the season, during this episode. But I can't make any promises. So today, I want to read some of the scripture about the events preceding the birth of Jesus. And we're going to take it a passage at a time with some discussion mixed in. I think it's probably safe to assume that most people are at least familiar with the basics of the Christmas story, even if you aren't a Christian. And of course, I could talk for hours about how incredible the birth of Jesus itself is. And so with that in mind, since we're all regular people, I thought today we should talk about some people in the Christmas story who were just regular folks, but through whom God did a miraculous work. So let's go ahead and get right into it. The first passage that we're going to look at is the foretelling of the birth of Jesus. And this one's going to come out of the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb, and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. 
He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So some real quick notes here right off the bat. When it says in the sixth month, there at the beginning, that is referencing specifically to the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. Elizabeth being the cousin of Mary, which you can read about actually just prior to this passage, also in Luke chapter 1. And that's just a little note at the start of this passage. I think it's definitely worth mentioning, though, because there was also such a great miracle done in the life of Elizabeth and her husband, Zechariah. Real quick, for those who may be unfamiliar with this, Zechariah and Elizabeth were a husband and wife. Zechariah was a priest, and Scripture tells us that they were both righteous before God. So Elizabeth was barren, however, and because of that, they had no children. Then the angel Gabriel visits Zechariah and foretells that Elizabeth will have a son, who we can actually read about later in Scripture because her son is none other than John the Baptist, who becomes the forerunner of Jesus Christ. When Gabriel visits Zechariah, not all that long before visiting Mary, because remember Gabriel's appearance to Mary occurs in Elizabeth's sixth month of pregnancy, Zechariah and Elizabeth are also pretty old. So all that to say, this is quite the miracle already with Elizabeth, who was barren and is now advanced in years, as verse 18 of this chapter of Luke would say. And she's conceiving a child after going so long without being able to have children. And that is an incredible miracle already. But of course, an even greater miracle is still yet to come, that being the birth of Christ. But getting back to the Christmas story, the passage that we read earlier tells about Gabriel's coming to Mary and the foretelling of Christ's birth. I mean, stepping back from even the miracle of Jesus, the Son of God, being born of a virgin, fully man and fully God, which is obviously the most critical core aspect of the Christmas story, just consider what it must have been like for Mary 
I mean, there Mary is, betrothed to Joseph. And an angel comes to her and tells her that she is going to conceive a child, and that child will be the Son of God, not the natural son of Joseph. I mean, I can't even begin to truly imagine what that would be like. Now, I can't say what emotions Mary was feeling at that time, but what we do see clearly is her response to this news. I mean, being given this news by an angel had to have been, at the very least, a bit overwhelming. And yet, Mary responds, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. We can compare this to plenty of scriptural examples, but we don't actually have to look very far. If you go back earlier in Luke chapter 1, to the story of Zechariah that I mentioned just a moment ago, we can compare this to Zechariah in the temple when the angel Gabriel visits him. Zechariah has this moment of questioning, I suppose you might call it, or maybe even disbelief at the news that Gabriel has given him. The news that Elizabeth will conceive a son, despite being barren, despite their age. And we don't see that from Mary in these verses. And yet, though Mary is so special because of her role as the mother of Jesus, when you consider Mary, apart from her role in God's great work, she was a normal person, just like you and I. And I think that's really powerful because we see her obedience to God and her incredible faith on display right here. And even though none of us will find ourselves in that exact circumstance, we can and we should have that same faithfulness and obedience to God in whatever work he calls us to. And this isn't meant to minimize the marvelousness of the Christmas story and the coming of Jesus by any means. It's just that I find it's easy to get caught up in the hustle and the bustle of the Christmas season and miss out on some of the elements of this Christmas story that can be so inspiring and incredible and applicable to us, even today. And so, we're going to go ahead and move on to our second passage. And this one is Joseph's angelic encounter. This is going to come out of Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. Before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Ghost. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, 
resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save the people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. So again, even though it's easy to imagine some of these biblical figures like they're superheroes, they're just people. And I think that we can see that in Joseph's initial response to the news of Mary's pregnancy here. And that's not meant as a slight against Joseph by any means. In fact, verse 19 even says that he's a just man which is why he decides to divorce her quietly. He doesn't try to make her an example or anything like that. And frankly, I would say that his initial response is much more restrained and godly than how many people then or now would probably react in that same situation. But really consider Joseph's circumstances for a moment. Imagine planning for a future with your betrothed, and that word betrothed here refers to what I suppose you could equate to an engagement in modern terms, although it does say that Joseph is Mary's husband. That was actually due to a practice of the times where those who were betrothed were referred to as the husband and the wife. So that was a little confusing. Hopefully that clears some things up. But he's looking forward to this future, ready for a life together. And then imagine that you receive the news that your beloved, your betrothed, has been unfaithful. Which was, of course, not the case in this instance, but seemingly so to Joseph. Now, I heard a wonderful sermon on this not long ago, and it was a huge blessing to me, which is why I want to share elements of that with you. Imagine having all those dreams pulled away. And that's exactly where Joseph finds himself at the beginning of this passage. And yet, the angel appears to him, And all of a sudden, those broken dreams get transformed into something that is exponentially more remarkable than what Joseph could have hoped for even from the beginning. And in the same way as with Mary's story, even though we don't find ourselves in his exact circumstance, All of us have encountered disappointment 
and heartbreak. Just as he must have. But just like God completely transformed that disappointment that Joseph had into something so much greater in his situation, he can and does do the same for us. And in this way, I think that we can find a lot of encouragement and inspiration from Joseph in the Christmas story. Because even though we may find ourselves in a different time and most likely a a different place than Joseph was, God is still there, ready to pick up the broken pieces of our fragile, of our brittle hopes and dreams, the things we clung to, and turn them into something even more wonderful than what we envisioned from the outset. God did it then, and he still does it now. And I think that should be a great inspiration to us today, and a great encouragement in times of hardship. So those are just a couple of passages from the Christmas story that I feel really showcase the incredible faith of some people that were, at the end of the day, just normal people through whom God did a remarkable work. But before we finish things today, I want to share some imagery with you that really spoke to me. I first heard this comparison made in a sermon not all that long ago. But as it turns out, there are also plenty of articles written about it as well. And it's this imagery of two statues in New York City. One is near the Rockefeller Center, and it's a statue of Atlas holding up the earth. And for anyone who may not be super familiar with Greek mythology, hey, I don't blame you, I'm not either. Essentially, the story goes that Atlas, this titan or god, I'm not exactly sure how you would classify him, but he looks like just a regular man in the statue, albeit a pretty muscular one. He gets stuck holding up the weight of the world. And you can see this in the statue. They've got the world on his back and he's you know, his muscles are flexing and he's he's really working hard holding up the world. And then right across the way from this Atlas statue sits St. Patrick's Cathedral. And inside there's a statue of Jesus as a child. And you see this this little child, Jesus. And he's kind of got his hands you know, out in front of him, palms up, kind of to the side. And in one of his hands, you just see this little, this little ball. And if you look closer, you'll actually see that it's the world. It's a globe. And so while on one side you can see the strain 
and the incredible effort trying to hold up the world. Then you see Jesus as a child. And it's like he's holding it, it's like the easiest thing. You know, like a child might hold a toy or something. And I think that's just such beautiful imagery. And this is the point that the, the preacher made in the sermon as well. That we can struggle to carry the weight and the burdens of the things that worry us and that we wrestle with. Or we can lay them down and turn them over to God. The one who holds them completely and effortlessly. And so this Christmas season, if you're struggling with something, I just want to encourage you to remember that God uses regular people to do extraordinary things each and every day. So just lay down those anxieties, the fears, the regrets, and open your heart to receive the purpose and the peace that only God can provide us with. So with all that said, I hope you've enjoyed this week's episode of An Average Account of Exceptional Things. And until next time, encourage one another, love your enemies, and count your blessings. Mm-hmm.